You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So it's a tremendous thing uh, to be able to be together and to, to go through the Word together. And so uh, we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at what He's had to say about life and, and righteousness and instruction and, and Jesus contrasting uh, the perceived righteousness of religious people in his day with what God actually looks at as righteous. And so he covers a lot of different subjects. We cover a lot of different things. But today we'll be talking about the subject of generosity and charity. No, this is not a message to ask you to give things. If you've come to church and you don't normally come here, you're like, great, I came on a Sunday where pastor's going to be talking about giving money. I'm not... It's not that kind of message. There's no campaign. There's no budget to raise. This is just something as we've been going through chapter 5 and 6 of Matthew, we just find ourselves on a section that Jesus happens to be dealing with that. And we're just going to be talking about people's hearts. Now let's talk a little bit about generosity today. Uh, generosity, a University of Notre Dame study of the word generosity defines the word as giving, which we know that to be true but also having a higher moral character and giving for the good of others. For the Christian, it's a trait commended by the Apostle Paul as he said that generosity was proof of the genuine character of Christian love. Generosity is uh, also the giving that comes sacrificially, not always stemming from one's abundance, but sometimes from their place of lack, moved upon by need, end quote. With this understanding, we know that uh, one doesn't always have to have a lot of money to be generous. But a person can be generous no matter what economic bracket you find yourself in. So sometimes we say to ourselves, when I have more money, then I'll be generous. But the truth is, generosity is a heart condition that is present no matter what you make. If you have a little, sometimes a generous person will be generous with their very little. It can be something as simple as two kids sitting at a lunch table and one of them sharing their fruit snacks or sharing their goodies with them at the lunch table. You don't have to have a lot to be a generous person. Another definition of the word generous is an older word, and this is not a word we use very often, but my wife might appreciate this word. It's the word magnanimous. The word magnanimous, which means big, large, impressive, or praiseworthy. A generous spirit is someone who wants to give extravagantly for the praise and honor of God. Now, the word charity, charity is a word that we've come to understand to be synonymous with a charitable organization. But charity also means generosity and helpfulness, especially towards the needy or suffering. It also means aid given to those in need, but it also has another meaning. Charity also means benevolent goodwill towards or the love of humanity. Charity also means love. So when we're thinking about charity, don't think of it purely as, well, I give to a charitable organization, or I gave to a charity, or I gave to a 501c3 organization that I can get a tax write-off 
at the end of the year. Try to think of charity not simply as an organization, but rather as uh, a motive that is moved by love. Now, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he addresses the issue of generosity and charity. Now, if you take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and one of the things you'll love about these uh, teachings of Jesus is that he breaks them up into little sections and he deals with a variety of topics. As we read through chapters 5 and 6 of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, we recognize that Jesus kind of goes through a variety of topics talking about God's perspective on these just everyday things concerning life. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We have it on the screen behind me. And if you're in need of a Bible, as always, let us know, and we will happy, be happy to provide you one free of charge. So Jesus says this, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets do, that they might have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they already have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed that may be done in secret and your father who sees it in secret will himself reward you openly. So Jesus deals with a person's motive behind their generosity. And he deals with the question, well, who gets the recognition? Now, we, we see in social media a growing trend where people either film themselves or take selfies of themselves doing charitable and good deeds. But they do it not because it's something that they're doing for the sake of doing good. Sometimes it's about getting recognition or praise. Whether it's a person that's putting money in the Salvation Army bucket or volunteering at a soup kitchen or taking a selfie with a homeless person, or issuing an oversized check to an organization, there is a tendency today where people want recognition and credit for doing a good deed. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with recognizing a person or people for giving to a good cause, but when it's done in self-promotion, it's not truly charity. It's marketing. If you're doing it for likes, for comments, or more followers on your social media platform, the motivation of people that do this is not altruistic, but rather it's doing it so that somehow they can get some kind of gratification and recognition by others. Let's face it, people crave recognition, especially in today's culture. We've got so badly that you can't even have people sit down to a dinner and enjoy it. They have to take a picture of the dinner that they're about to enjoy and so that everybody else can see, wow, look at the dinner that I'm sitting down and enjoying. How about you just eat the dinner and tell people about it later, I had a really good dinner. Sometimes it's all focused on like, you know, the attention for the moment and not necessarily living in the moment. 
when people do charitable gifts for recognition and for the purpose of self-promotion, it's marketing. And some of these folks might not even actually care about the issue that they're drawing attention to. This is the hypocrisy that Jesus speaks about. This was happening in Jesus' day as well. The Pharisees, who were religious leaders in Jesus' day, were men who loved the praise and the recognition of men. They loved it when they walked down the streets in the marketplace and people kind of got out of their way. Or when they came into a public place or if they were sitting down to a banquet, they always took the best seat. They always wanted the recognition and praise from men. They loved it. They craved it. They pursued it. They really liked it when people paid attention to them. And a lot of Pharisees did good deeds for the purpose of their own attention. They wanted the recognition for it. Now, I don't watch a lot of the show Seinfeld, but I remember one episode where the character George Costanza was in a a soup shop after placing his order. And after getting his change, he took the money that was in his hand, and on the counter was a tip jar. And George goes and he puts the money in the tip jar. But as he was putting money in the tip jar, the person who was working the counter turned away, so he didn't see George put the money in the tip jar. So George, wanting to have the attention and the credit for putting a tip in the tip jar, reaches into the tip jar to get his tip back so that he can put it in with someone recognizing it. But right at that time, that's when the person working the counter, who was the owner, turned around and saw him taking money out of the tip jar. And the owner said, you're trying to steal my money? Who do you think you are? What are you doing? And he banned him from that soup shop for one year. I know, it's not real, so it's okay. (laughs) But what did George want? George wanted the attention. George wanted the recognition. George wanted someone to see, hey, look what I'm doing. And it backfired on him. It didn't work out the way that he intended it to work out at all. All because he wanted to be seen and recognized for what he did, but it backfired. Can I challenge you today? Don't give to be seen. Don't do good deeds to be seen. If someone recognizes you for it, that's wonderful. Accept the recognition for it, but don't do it for the purpose of recognition. Jesus contrasts and addresses the righteousness of the Pharisees with what true and godly righteousness is. In fact, in our previous passage of Scripture, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, then you will never see the kingdom of God. And what he was trying to do was to correct the bad model behavior that he was seeing from the Pharisees because the Pharisees, even though they were somewhat hypocritical, and the way they carried themselves, they served as an example for the, the Jewish people. They observed them as being holy, as being righteous, as being representatives of God. And so if they saw hypocrisy, Jesus didn't want them mimicking the hypocrisy. Some of the things that uh, the Pharisees would do is if, there was a, if they saw a needy person in the marketplace... They would take out their money and hold it up over their head and, and with a loud declaration talk about, oh yes, 
I will give to this charitable need right here. And may God bless you greatly as I give to you this sum of money so that you might be blessed, you poor wretched soul. Or if they were in the uh, synagogues or the temple, the Pharisees were actually very well off because their line of work enabled them to be well off. So they would take of their abundance and they would make a large show of their offering and their donation. So they would have a large donation that they would take and they would put in the offering and they would make sure that the most people in the temple were there at the time that they were going to give their donation. And they made sure that they made uh, a, uh, a big show of them giving and how much they were giving and how much they were doing. This is for God and this is for his temple and this is for his house and they would make a big show out of it. They would do it to impress people. They would do it for other people to recognize what they're doing. But yet these same Pharisees were also accused and would often take advantage of wilder, uh, widows and the elderly defrauding them out of money. People would be impressed by what they would give and compliment them and shower them with praise for their good deeds. But in verse 2 of this chapter, Jesus said, if you make a big deal out of your own giving then guess what? You've already got your reward. You've already got your reward. If you did it so that you would be recognized for it, if you did it for the praise of men, if you did it for people to ooh and ah and compliment you, then guess what? You've achieved what you set out to do with your generosity, and you won't receive anything greater than that. If all you were doing was to receive the praise and recognition of men, then when you do, you've received your reward. But you won't receive a reward from God because you've already got what you came for when you did it in the first place. Instead, Jesus says, you know, don't follow that example, even though it's the most visible and vivid one. Instead, do it a different way. Instead, I'm going to show you a better way. And so I'm going to just give you some, some things, just a few points that you can write down. I'm sorry, we don't have it on the PowerPoint today. But today, hopefully you are sharp, or if you have a pen, you can jot these down. Or do what I do, and I kind of keep it in my phone, and I promise you that I'm not usually texting people in a service when I'm doing that. I'm actually taking notes. I should probably get one of those styluses that lets me write. Then it won't look like I'm doing something else on my phone while I'm in service. But when you give, number one, first and foremost, don't make a big deal out of it even if it is a big deal. Sometimes a big donation is a big deal, but it doesn't mean that you have to make a big deal out of it. Two, don't announce it or look for fanfare. Don't say, I'm giving this amount here now in the sight of every person in this place that you may know how generous I truly am. Don't do it and announce it or look for fanfare. Three, do your giving in secret. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't even let people know. Some of the most generous people that I know in life are the people that do it very quietly and very under the radar. They're the people that just do it very subtly. Number four, don't draw attention to it or even look for recognition from it. Number five, don't use it as a leverage tool to get people to do what you want. So don't give with the sense, well, now that I've given, I need a return on my investment. 
now that I've given, I would like to tell you how to run your organization. Or, now that I've given, can I tell you what color to paint the walls? Or, now that I've given, can I tell you who you should hire and who you should not hire? When we give that, we're not actually doing a donation. What we're doing is we're saying, well, I'm making an investment. I should have the right to say where that investment goes. That's not what your generosity should look like. Instead, generosity is about caring about people over possessions. Generosity is about caring about people over possessions. That when we give, we say, like, I'm not so much concerned with what I have. I'm concerned with what other people have. Are they in need? Are they uh, lacking in any way? Is there any way that I can help them? Generosity says, I value people over possessions. Generosity is not about getting, but it's about the joy of giving. Generosity is not about, well, if I give this, what will I get out of it? But instead, generosity is about the joy of giving in that moment. Giving to others feels good. Sometimes we take it a little further. We say, well, I don't want to just feel good about it. I want others to know about it so that I feel good about the compliments I'm getting for giving. It's not supposed to be that way. Sometimes the thing that we get is just about the joy of giving. Generosity is not about getting goods or getting gold. It's about honoring God. Jesus said this about a man's struggle between serving God and serving money. If we take a look at uh, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus kind of makes it very clear. You know, money is a good servant but a terrible master. If you've ever been in debt, you know this. That when you have money to do things, it's a wonderful tool to be used. But if you're in debt in any way, shape, or form, you recognize that money can be a terrible master that you're slaving and toiling under with no end in sight. So Jesus said this, and later on in Matthew chapter 6, he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Listen, money is something that you can use to do many good things, but if it's your master and it drives your decision-making, whether through debt or greed, it's not freedom, but it's a prison. When you become a generous person, you're saying that money is not the most important thing to you. If you're a quiet giver, then you're showing the recognition to re- that is to be received by it is not important to you. Uh, let me give you an example of this, okay? Growing up, I did not have a lot. My family didn't have a lot. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at all. And so when I got older and when I got money, I would sometimes find it hard to let it go. If you grew up poor or if you grew up in need, you recognize that, like, you know, sometimes it's rare to have money come to you. And so when you, you have it, you're like, I'm going to hold on to this and not let it go. But I found my experiences, uh, experiences of lack as the motivation to take care of my family and to make sure that my kids never had to do without. So for me, being without kind of brought me to a place that, you know, I, I know what that feels like. I don't want that to be something my kids or my grandkids eventually will experience. So I want to make sure that I work hard, that they never have to be in the spot that I sometimes find myself in. Now, fortunately, my parents taught me the importance of generosity by giving to God and giving to others. And so... By doing so, what they did is they, didn't, they kept me from focusing on the pursuit of wealth as the be-all and end-all 
of everything I did. And tithing was a part of it. But let's be honest, tithing on, is on $100 is easy because it's only $10. But when you tithe on $5,000 or $10,000, sometimes there is a little bit of hesitation. But for some who come to from a similar situation like mine, you might find yourself driven to succeed pursuing wealth and possessions as a means of security. But not everyone's been taught the benefit and the blessing of being generous early in life. Sometimes that's a lesson that people don't learn until much later. So sometimes being born into a situation or growing into a situation where you don't have a lot can f- make you feel like I need to hoard things and keep things to myself because they're in the, there's security and there's safety or in it we want to succeed and we want to kind of surpass our previous generation, what our parents or our grandparents did, and we want to be in a place of security. But if we're not careful, that pursuit can bring us into the direct odds with what God's plan is for us. If God is leading us to be generous, then sometimes that might be difficult for us to do because we're are holding on to those things so closely. When God calls a person to go on a missions trip, and part with their own funds. Sometimes that can be hard to do because, you know, I have to do these things and I don't want to part with those resources because, you know, I worked hard for them and and what if something happens? But learning to trust God is about saying, you know what, God, if you lead me to do that, then I'm going to do that because I know you will take care of the situation and you'll take care of me. So what should our generosity look like? Well, a few things. Number one, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This, as one uh, biblical scholar says, this is a proverbial expression that means that you should give as secretly as possible. In other words, do it in a way that no one can really recognize you or praise you for. Instead, do it with a very careful heart. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Secondly, don't give out of compulsion but give out of compassion. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, give what you decide to give ahead of time without having to have your arm twisted or being manipulated. In other words, what Paul is saying here is saying, you know, if you're giving because you feel like someone's manipulating you to give, or if you're giving because someone is twisting your arm to give, then don't give. Your heart has to be in it. Maybe you've sat in services growing up or throughout your church time where you might have heard people kind of uh, manipulate, convict, and try and coerce you to give. That should not be part of the church. If you're going to give, give. If you're not going to give, don't give. But let your heart be in it either way. But don't do it because you feel like you're being pressured or coerced to do so. Give out of Compassion, not out of compulsion. Thirdly, don't do it to try and get something in return. Don't do quid pro quo, which means this for that. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you give to this organization, I'll give to that organization. If I give here, like, what will you do for me, pastor, if I give? Or if you give to an organization, a charitable organization, well, you know, can I be on the board or can I make... Uh, important decisions. Can I have a direct influence on what's happening here? 
we don't do a this for that sort of thing. Generosity should be born of the desire to do good without expecting something in return. Uh, Luke 14, 12 through 14, Jesus talks about that. Uh, fourthly, give sacrificially. If you look at Mark 12, 41 through 44, let's look at that together. So remember I said that the Pharisees love to make a big show of their offering. They love to be able to just, you know, plunk a lot of money down and have everybody ooh and ah over it and, and be really impressed with their generosity. And so Jesus is in the temple. And we see in verse 41, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. And many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called out to his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing in the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she has, all that she has to live on. Now, I want to note this, that Jesus was not impressed by the ones who gave out of their abundance. But he took note of the widow who gave out of her sacrifice. Because she didn't give to God what was left over. She gave out of what was closest to her, out of her need. This showed two things. One, that her worship of God was one of the most important things in her life. And that, too, she trusted God to take care of her needs. When it comes to generosity, God is not always impressed with the big gifts that we give out of the extra we have. But he's impressed with the sacrificial heart that gives out of what's close to them because that really shows that there's no safety net. It's kind of like when you used to go to the circus when there was a circus. There's no more circus anymore. I remember taking my kids to the circus. Now it's bad to have a circus, apparently. So there's no more circus. But when they had circuses, they would have people on tight ropes, and they would have them on trapeze, and underneath they would have a net to catch them. And if they wanted to make it particularly um, tense and exciting, they'd say, now we're going to do this without the benefit of a net. And there's something about that that kind of makes you chew your nails and sit forward in your seat and really pay attention because you recognize the stakes are especially high. And so when we give to God out of sacrifice, out of the faithfulness that we're supposed to, and even if we don't always have it, what we're saying is, like, God, I have no safety net. You are it. And that can be a scary thing. It can be a challenging thing. And believe me, I'm not saying that, like, hey, you know, trying to get you to give when you don't have it. No, no, no. Instead, understand that when Jesus was observing this widow, he's saying that here's a woman that loves God so much, she gives out a sacrifice, and she's trusting God to take care of her. When we give sacrificially, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. God's not looking for equal giving. He's looking for equal sacrifice. The last point about what our generosity should look like. Number five, Give for God's glory, not for your own recognition. If we do it for the praise of men, we're the ones getting the glory. But if we do it for God and only he and the person we help know, then he is glorified and we are recognized in his sight. 
Sometimes your obedience can be the answer to someone's prayer. I can't emphasize this enough, church. Listen, times are difficult. We know that inflation is high. Interest rates have been raised. The price of goods and services have gone through the roof. I was reading an article just the other day about ice cream. That malicious ice cream has been uh, troubled by the supply chain and having to raise their prices. It's tragic that you can't even enjoy ice cream anymore because the price of, you know, everything has gone up. It's affected everybody. And you, we feel for the small businesses. We feel for the people that are affected by that. So there are times where we look at things and we go, well, things are really bad now. Can I encourage you that if things are bad for you, will you let us know? Will you let us help? We are here for you. And that's one of the, the things that the church does, especially for our own family, our church family. We are here to help you in that. So recognize that, that there is sometimes a need and you can be the answer to someone's prayer when God prompts you to do something for someone and you do it whether it be to give or to help in some way that person may very well have been praying about God helping them and you are the one that heard God's voice and responded now Jesus finishes his thoughts on generosity with this in verse 4 of Matthew 6 so that your charitable deed that's done in secret and your father who sees it in secret, he himself will reward you openly. Jesus promised that if we do our giving in secret, then the heavenly father will reward us in public. Now you might think to yourself, well, what kind of rewards does God give? Not that that's the incentive that we're chasing after. Not that we're giving so that, well, okay, I want to be rewarded by God. Most of us give to charitable needs or we give to the church because, we, you know, our heart is to help. Our heart is to, to give and to donate. Most of us are motivated by compassion or because we, we understand the scriptural command of tithing and, and have committed to giving faithfully. So what, what kind of rewards does God give? Not that we're kind of saying, oh God, you know, what kind of trophy do you have for me? What kind of, what kind of medal do you have for me? What kind of certificate do you have for me? Uh, what kind of blessing is in it for my giving? And the, the answer is that there are rewards that come from God for generosity and charity. So number one, one of the, the examples of the rewards that God gives is that we receive the reward of his blessing. So when we give out of generosity, when we give out of charity, and we say, well, well what is my return on investment? All of us should know that whenever you invest in something, do you see it right away? No. We, sometimes the blessings come later on down the road. When we invest, there's no such thing as a quick return on investment. We often have to wait for it. But God promises the reward of his blessings. Proverbs 19.17 says that he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and that which he has given, the Lord will pay him back again. So think about it this way. This is a strange concept that when we give to the less fortunate, he says what you're doing is you're almost like you're giving a loan to the Lord. You are lending that money to the Lord. And the Lord is not a skinflint. He doesn't cut out of his obligations. He always pays back. So when we give to the Lord, he says that he will return it back to you. That's the blessing you receive. So, so in what way does he pay us back? He pays us back in blessings. He pays us back in his kindness. He pays us back in just answers to prayer along the way. That's how God rewards us 
with some of his blessings. Not that we do it for the blessing. We do it for his glory. And then the reward that he gives are for us to enjoy. What's another blessing, uh, another reward? Secondly, we'll be rewarded at the resurrection on Judgment Day. Uh, in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, he says, hey, when you throw a dinner or a banquet, don't do it for people that uh, when they come and they enjoy what you have, will go and invite you to a banquet at their house. He says, that's just this for that. That's quid pro quo. That's just doing something nice for somebody else with the expectation of something in return. He says, instead, bless those and invite those to your house that cannot pay you back in any way. He says, by doing so, in verse 14, he says, when you do this, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, what's the resurrection of the just? The resurrection of the just is basically judgment day is that when we stand before God, God will remember the generosity that you gave to someone else and how you helped somebody else. And then in the presence of all the saints before God himself, he will say, here is my son, here is my daughter, here is my servant that was charitable, that was generous, that was compassionate, that was gracious and wanted nothing else in return. And so in this moment with this great cloud of witnesses, I want you to picture who that will be. You know, we sometimes like the recognition and the praise from people that, like in our neighborhood or the people that are on Facebook. But can you imagine that the things that you do for the Lord, that you did quietly and under the radar, that one day on Judgment Day when we stand before all the saints together, as we rejoice together, that in that great cloud of witnesses that you read about in Hebrews 11, that they are among the company of the people that are hearing about what you did in this life. And that God is giving you a hand clap for that. I don't know about you, that's a, an awesome thought when you think about it. That the things that I do for God and the things that I do for others will be recognized by him and by all the saints when I stand before God in judgment. Thirdly, what's the reward that we can expect from what God gives? The thirdly, it is we have a reward of a heavenly inheritance. In Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, those who were righteous and did what he asked of them, he says, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The reward in this life that we get from helping others is the feeling that we get. Not looking for the recognition of men. But the true reward awaits those, the generous in heaven, where God will bless and honor them in the heavenly kingdom. We have an inheritance. Now listen, if you came from a, a, an upbringing where your parents had nothing, you didn't have two nickels to scrape together, and you don't have an inheritance that when your parents go or if your grandparents left behind and you had not a penny to your name and you've had to scratch and try and make it through every bit of life, then you don't know what it is to have an earthly inheritance. Most people will never experience an earthly inheritance. Maybe 10 to 15% of the population, studies show, of the population actually receives some kind of inheritance from the previous generation. It's not a lot of people. But here's something that we can take confidence in, is that we have an inheritance from the Lord, that every Christian, every believer, has, an et has eternal life and the dwelling in the heavenly kingdom forever and ever as their inheritance. 
that when we go before God, you will never again in the presence of the Lord be with lack. You will never again experience hunger or sickness or pain, any of those things we read in the book of Revelation. That's the promise of every believer in heaven. That is your inheritance. So you may not have an inheritance from your great uncle or your great grandfather or that, you know, you might not even have an inheritance from your parents that someday when they go, you might be saying to yourself, well, I need to take care of them when they're old. But when you get to heaven, you have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade that's waiting in heaven for you. I don't know about you, but that's a good thought. Not because I do it to get something, but that the Lord doesn't ignore what you do for him. He will recognize it, and he will reward it. Something that's more lasting than any earthly treasure that can be provided. There's an old hymn by Ira Stanfield. It was written in the 50s, and it's called, uh, I Have a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. It says, don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven-bound. I'm but a pilgrim in, in search of a city. I want a mansion, a harp, and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we will never more wander but walk on streets that are purest gold. I think it's really interesting because if you read the hymns that were written in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and on up, they were written at a time where the Great Depression was going on. Right, where people, you know, waited in bread lines for long periods of time to, to be able to just get a loaf of bread. Or they worked for 28 cents an hour, or sometimes they couldn't feed their family, and they just scraped to get by. Isn't it interesting that the songs written during those times reflect that worry, that anxiety, that concern that they have, right? That's like, I have nothing, but I'm looking forward to a day where I won't have to worry about that. And you hear them talk about the mansions, and they talk about the place and the things that God has for them, because that's the hope and the inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that the Lord cares about you. I want you to hear my heart today that when I'm talking to you about generosity today, I'm not looking to see, well, is it giving going to go up? Instead, what I want you to do today is I want you to understand that to change your mindset about what it means to truly be charitable and generous. That generosity is not about when I have the money, I'll do it. It's not about when I've, I'm set in life, then I can be a more generous person. But just look at the widow's example there, is that generosity flows from wherever you find yourself because it's about your heart. Today, as I conclude this message, some of you might be going through a situation right now where you're not exactly sure about what tomorrow holds. You might be looking to the future and you might have tremendous anxiety about it. Can I reassure you today that the God that uh, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that knows the number of hairs on our head, that knows, that clothes the lilies of the field, the God that, uh, uh, you know, knows each sparrow and the place that they dwell, and that you're worth more than sparrows, that God is the God that will take care of you, no matter where you find yourself in life. And I want to pray for you today. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you're not certain about the future, and you're a little anxious, maybe you're a little concerned. I want you to know today that God is able to take care of you because he knows what you're going through, and he watches over you 
both now and forevermore. The psalmist David, who had been through his periods of high points and low points, going from a shepherd to being on the run to finally being in the king's palace, had this to say. He says, I, am, I was young, but now I am old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. When we do the things that we do, when God leads you to a generous heart, we're not doing it for recognition from men. We're doing it to please God and trusting him to take care of us. Can we bow our heads for a moment? And maybe you have that concern that's on your heart. As I'm going to pray in just a moment, will you just lift that need up to the Lord right now? Whether it be financial, whether it be for your household, whatever that need is, will you just quietly whisper it before the Lord today and let him know what you're going through and what you need? And then, as you're doing that, I want you to reaffirm once more your trust in God. Reaffirm that you say, God, I know that you can, and I trust that you will take care of me. Reaffirm that once more. And lastly, ask God to help you to have a generous heart when it comes to doing what he asks you to do. That no matter what season you find yourself in, a season of plenty or a season of lack, that you are grateful and generous in all things so that God might be glorified in what you do. Remember, you can be the answer to someone's prayer. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your continued faithfulness through all of my years. Thank you, Lord, for the periods of lack, Lord God, where I had nothing and I had to trust you. Lord, doing that helped me to learn to depend upon you. Thank you for the times of abundance, Lord, where blessings came left and right, Lord God, and there were seasons of of great provision, Lord. I'm so grateful for those moments in my life. And God, we can all look back to those times in our lives where we've seen uh, your hand at work, and there's times where it seemed like it was lean and there was nothing there. God, I pray today, help us to remember that you're the same God, you have the same faithfulness, and you have the same resources you always have had. I pray today, help our hearts not to be worried or fearful or to be concerned about what tomorrow will bring. Instead, I pray today that we would just be faithful in the ways we are supposed to be faithful and that, Lord God, you would show yourself to be mighty on our behalf. Meet needs, bring provision, answer prayers, Lord God, and help us to be the answer to those prayers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that he can do that today? I believe that he can. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.